0: Welcome to episode 45 of the Talenopoly podcast, How and Why to Start a Meetup. I'm your host, Jared Brown, and you already know what's coming next. I'm joined by Brandon Corbin.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) And our guest on this show is Miles Starrett. Welcome, Miles. Hello. And before we get into what we're drinking, let's talk quickly about the Talonopoly job board that makes all this possible. Right now, we've got three cool jobs on there, Uh, all at Interactive Intelligence, really cool company. We've talked about them before, but if you don't know, they've got great offices here in the Indianapolis area, including a rock climbing wall, which is pretty awesome, in my opinion. Uh, So, if you are entertaining the concept of uh, maybe looking at a new job, go check out the Talentopoly job board and see what you can find on there. All right, let's jump right into beverages, and I'm excited to hear about your night so far brandon tell enlighten us about what you have been drinking tonight
1: so i'm drinking water now and uh, we had the company christmas party and uh so i had the house merlot right and that's kind of my shtick as i just go in they're like what do you want to drink i say bring me the house merlot and they all come out they're like would you like to taste it sir and they like give me a little (laughs) and it's like dude, i am so unsophisticated when it comes to wine it's like the first glass Tastes like shit no matter what. And, and then they get better. And then I led into the stories about how we do the podcast and how we have the rating sometimes where it's, you know, here's the wine when we begin and here's the wine when we end. Um, and it all tied together in a very cohesive, like the, the entire universe made sense because of that. So now I'm drinking a bunch of wine or water because I had entirely too much wine uh, at the Christmas party.
0: Nice. Well, it sounds like a good Christmas party.
1: It was. It, you know, It's good to be back at a place that, one, pays you, and uh, two, doesn't, you know, I don't know, lie to you about insurance and stuff. <laughs>
0: those, those are benefits. Those are pluses. I, that would be funny to order. And soon
1: enough, I'm going to be dropping their names, too, once this legal bullshit gets over. Oh. I'm going to speak the truth.
0: Speak the <laughs> truth. Dude, I want to see anyway, you. Anyway, that, that's oh, what I'm drinking. I want to see you. Order two-buck Chuck at a restaurant. Or like, find a restaurant that has two-buck Chuck. Order it. See if they still come out. And, like, we'll pour a little they glass. Dude, that's
1: probably it. what I'm drinking. Swish I mean, honestly. Do you swish
0: it around first? Like, really? Like I, I swish off? it in my Yeah. No, I don't. And no, then, no. like, just Again. sit there and, like, awkwardly pause. Like, you're, you know, really
2: taking it in.
0: <laughs> this does not
2: work for me. Sorry, <laughs> man. Send this back. Really get your nose down in, in the cup, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Roll the cup for a little bit. Be awesome.
2: yeah. <laughs> no no that's not my style
1: all right so you're drinking
0: water right now miles what are you drinking
2: i'm drinking uh, a bitter woman ipa Ooh,
0: that's pretty awesome
2: it's uh it's pretty good
0: right, is it's IPA actually... your favorite style
2: yes yeah definitely cool and the the more bitter the better the bitterer the bitterer i don't know the bitter eye something I like that
0: <laughs> is this a, sta- <laughs> is it a staple for you or are you trying this for the first time
2: Oh, no, it's a staple for sure.
0: Yeah, good one. Nice. I am drinking a Kentucky bourbon barrel ale. I don't know if Hmm. this is really like a respected beer or whatever. It's probably a little gimmicky, I guess, to be done in a bourbon barrel. But it's got that bourbon flavor to it, and I was kind of in the mood for that tonight. It's good. I like it. So with that, let's get into our topic, how and why to start a meetup. And before we jump right in, let's talk about your background, Miles, and if you would just kind of fill us in on how you ended up, where you're at right now.
2: Sure. Um, I don't know where to start. We discussed starting at one, so... We did. We're going to do the
0: year-by-year <laughs> sequence. We might have to get a slideshow uh, of, of old baby photos up on the podcast
2: website. Ooh, that would be good. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know where to find those, but that would be good. Were you, were you a big baby? Um... Actually, no. I was Damn. the, out of, out of my, there are three of us siblings, I was the smallest. And now are you the biggest? <laughs> yeah. But you're a pretty yeah. big dude. To be fair, pretty uh, big too. Uh, I have two younger sisters. i brothers, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, <I've>, maybe my <laughs> recollection is totally wrong. I mean, I've met you before, Miles, and pretty big dude is not a description I would ever think to apply to you.
1: Then you need to, you need to check out this guy's guns. That's hey, what you mean. He's got okay. some pretty. He's got some pretty big arms, dude.
0: Viewer, I mean, the listeners are probably thinking like three hundred pound guy or something when you say that.
1: Oh no, no, no! Just a, just a. You know, he's got he's got some guns on him. That's all. That's
2: well, especially cool. when they find out that I'm a programmer, they just assume. Oh, okay. So yeah, Big, large, bearded programmer. Yeah, which is fat, fat as
1: fuck. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not it at all. <laughs> sorry i wasn't supposed to swear i take that back
0: so let's start like in the high school time frame like or when whenever you got interested in computers i guess when was that
2: <laughs> um yeah, that that would have been. <laughs> i guess that would have been maybe jun- junior high high school um i don't have any cool stories like a lot of programmers are like yeah you know i had my apple 2e and i totally wrote a chess program when i was eight yeah but I, did, I did not do that
0: we have had some of those people on the show That that wasn't me either. All right, I want to know what was your first computer?
2: It was uh, it was uh, some Packard Bell that my grandpa gave to us uh, because he. It was sort of like it was one of those things where like uh, I guess we were a uh, we weren't exactly well to do, uh, and my grandpa was like, "Oh well, um, I'm gonna get a new computer," even though he totally didn't need a new computer, and so he gave us that one so that so that his grandchildren would have a computer in reality. but
0: I'm guessing this was maybe 96, 97, somewhere in there, maybe 98. Yeah. Yeah. I think so that 96-ish like, ish would have been about right. Those are the golden years for Packard Bell. I remember, that, like, <laughs> man, they were right before, like, Gateway and Dell really showed up. Packard Bell and CompUSA, man, that was how you got your computers. Like, Acer, Acer, those are good years for Acer. I mean, and then uh, they always had the Ski Free demo running on the Packard Bells at Compute. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah.
2: It's surprising how much time you can waste playing Ski Free, by the way. <laughs> it
0: is. But you always get eaten.
2: <laughs> All the time, yeah. Like oh.
0: I don't think you can get to the bottom of anything, right? There's no bottom to it, is there?
2: No. I I don't think so. It also, it became a lot less fun after the whole Bono thing, but... Or Sonny Bono, I'm sorry. True,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that. All right, so Packard Bell. Uh, You see the Packard Bell at first sight, you're like, "This is." I love working on Packard Bells, and (laughs) right,
2: yeah, it was great. (laughs) I think I think uh, I found Netscape Composer somehow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I made I made a uh, really really terrible uh, guitar tab site, essentially. Uh ah. were you on AOL? No, um, God, what were we on? I think it was just something local.
0: Okay.
2: Um, I w- I was
1: Jebediah thirteen. If anybody's curious, I probably shouldn't say that I'm online.
0: On AOL. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so let's fast forward. Uh, you know, then what happens after this? So you start getting interested in computers. You're making the, your first website. Where do you go from there?
2: Yep. Uh, thankfully, the our, our uh, my high school had a couple had one guy who was actually like a science teacher, um, but he was sort of a, a computer hobbyist and talked the school into having a couple different uh, computer classes, although I was disappointed once I got to college to find out that there were other kids my age that had actually taken, you know, C programming classes and stuff like that in high school. And I, I got to take a, a basic class. Hmm. Well, we uh, not that. even Visual Basic. Just, just Basic.
0: I remember our, <laughs> the, our high school didn't even have Basic. It had that stupid scripting language where you have to route robots around, basically. You just, like, set up commands. It's basically, like, for loops and some while loops. I mean, it, it made Basic look complex. <laughs> and that was all they offered. So, I like, I didn't even take that class. I would, I would sit in the back of Spanish class and just read C++ for dummies.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: nice. Yeah. So... What were you doing in in the high school time frame? Though you were programming and stuff on the side, right?
2: Uh, mostly doing, um, I wouldn't call it programming. A lot of you know the HTML okay. stuff and uh, remember DHTML by the way. I do. So that, that I was really just nice. thinking about
0: that the other day too. <laughs> like, I man. think
2: I want to start calling a DHTML library. Bring it back, man! <laughs> I think Bring it back. back. Yeah, just see if if it catches on again. <laughs> Cool. But yeah, so I mean, I was, I was doing a little bit um, and got accepted uh, in computer science to Purdue. Nice. Um, and then that was sort of like a... Uh... What year was that? I uh, started at Purdue in fall of 2001. Okay. I
0: started in fall 2000, computer science.
2: Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know how to study out of high school, so... Yeah. Uh, those, the first... My freshman year was a bit rough. Uh, did
0: you take that Java object oriented class as your first one? I think it was 181.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I actually did all right in that. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know.
0: Well, and you probably had uh, that, some concept and, of object oriented. Half the kids in that classroom—they're like, "What? Cookie cut classes or cookie cutters? What are you talking about?" They have no idea what, he, <laughs> what the guy's saying.
2: I think it also helped that there wasn't uh, there wasn't anything else new to learn from a system perspective because we could run windows and you right. know some what was it who's the com- borland was that the company with that uh oh man the, i don't the even big big java ide i think we used i, cannot... I think we used
0: uh, what's it called the thing emacs we used emacs on solaris workstations when i was in that class
2: okay we did th- we did that second semester in the uh the c class yeah um, and that was a uh, um, like a like I don't know like kind of a culture shock of sorts. Like I was like, whoa, what is what is all this stuff? Like I I hadn't uh, yeah. buffers. I and... hadn't messed with any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that I think that's true with pretty much all of us, unless you were just a total hacker geek and you had been able to be exposed to that. But and then Solaris ran this thing called Common Desktop Environment. CD. Yeah. Man, that was the most atrocious desktop environment I've ever, se- like, ever. Even to this day, I've never seen anything worse than that.
2: I forgot wow. about that.
0: Like, and they put money into I, that and thought they were going to beat Windows at one point with that thing.
2: <laughs> oh, man. It was bad. Yeah. And okay. if I remember correctly, everything performed really terribly. And Well, anyway. It, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We don't need, probably don't need to uh, have a semester-by-semester semester breakdown. <laughs> but, uh, so you, um, So
0: you get through Purdue.
2: And yeah, well, kind of.
0: Are there Okay, fill us in here. I want to hear some of these stories.
2: <laughs> this is so the longest we've like,
0: done, but I love it. Like, this is great.
2: Good. <laughs> but leave it to me to uh, talk way too much. All right, so um, I, I jumped around majors, and I, I went to CPT for a while, which um, whatever was a thing. And yeah. then I did uh, like a semester or two of – I think it was called – CIMT, I don't ask who that stands for, but it has to do with oh. robotics and programming. Okay. But it's in the uh, Mechanical Engineering Technology School, uh, which was not ideal because it wasn't it wasn't a fully separated major yet, so you ended up taking MET classes for a couple years before you could do anything cool.
0: What language um,
2: were you, what languages and things were you using then? Uh, I ended up doing a lot of... Of .NET and CPT and then a little bit, if I remember correctly, in the CIMT. But I didn't really get far enough to get into anything cool. Um, And I was like, this is stupid. I'm hemorrhaging money. I'm going to teach myself PHP and, and stop going to school and see what happens.
0: And they don't have a PHP, I think even to this day, unless I stand corrected, that Purdue doesn't even have a PHP course right now. And they didn't back then.
2: Yeah, I don't know.
0: That's crazy. I don't don't know how they cannot teach that type of stuff
2: because
0: I I was doing PHP all night long. Like I would go to class, you know, like what it sounds like you were doing, you know, like you want to do PHP and instead you're doing like C++, like data structures and stuff and like, you know, bucket list sorts and okay, well, when I get out of class, I'm going to go make a website that real people use and find valuable and I'll use PHP to do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of, kind of what I did. What a lot of people I think did is, you know, uh, the school thing isn't working out. I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself as much as I can and then hustle to, to find a way to make money doing that. So what uh, you're, what you're, it's not, so you dropped out, right? Right. Yep. In, what, in '04, I believe, okay. maybe, maybe '05. I can't really remember. Were you like a um, junior
0: technically at that point?
2: I think so. Um. Yeah, so ended up um actually I I ended up getting a job doing PHP, but because that was because uh in two thousand five, late two thousand five and early two thousand six I was learning Rails, which had more or less just come out and some people who were in uh some um some I think some advanced CGT class at Purdue were trying to build a uh, rails app to win some business plan competition and they needed some help and I ended up becoming friends with them through doing this on the side just for fun uh, and they worked at a, a local PHP shop so I worked out pretty well Cool. and from there actually because of those connections I ended up getting a job down here NFrame, doing rails work and then uh, cha-cha for a year oh, and then
0: cha what year yeah. were you working there?
2: Uh, I worked at Cha Cha from uh, I guess about April oh. 2010 to ah. April 2011.
0: I was there 0607. Okay, doing yeah, doing rails work. So
2: yeah, funny. it was uh, it was an interesting time. It was good. <laughs> I learned a lot. Cool. And so, now I, now I'm on my own.
0: Nice. And so when did you go out on your own?
2: Actually, immediately following Cha Cha, April April two thousand eleven, uh, I had been doing some. So the 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 PHP shop in Lafayette, um, when I was there, had a, like one day decided we're not going to do web development anymore, and they, I guess you could call it pivoted, but we won't get into that. Uh, and they're like, "Hey, do you want all of our hosting customers, and do you want to go out on your own?" I'm like. I mean, I don't know. You're kind of springing this on me, but sure, let's try it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So I had been kind of doing some stuff on the side since 2007. Uh. And then when when the cha when I left Cha Cha, um, I was like, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens. And Cha Cha hired me to do some contract work for them right out the gate. So that was a nice, uh, like anchor client of sorts. Cool. And so
0: at what point did you start the NDRB, the Ruby meetup?
2: Um, so for the record, I didn't start it. Uh, oh, I took right. Yeah, Dave, over, Dave
0: uh, Woodward started it, right? Is that yeah, right? yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, yeah, he started it. I just well, I don't totally know.
0: associated with you now, and I completely forgot the whole Dave Woodward. Because <laughs> kind of, I actually did go to it a few times back then when Dave was hosting it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, that makes, in a way, that makes me feel good. And also kind of sad for Dave. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah. 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 So he, he hosted. Actually, I went to the meeting, the first meeting at which he had like said, I no longer want to be like in charge of this thing. Uh, And we all voted David Baldwin to be in charge of it, despite that David Baldwin wasn't there and I had never met him. So that was a good time. Uh, so Baldwin uh, Baldwin ran the group for about eighteen months, and then he I had been helping him do some stuff, and he was like, "Here, do you just wanna you want to do this for a while?" Uh, and I've been doing it ever since. I think it's been a couple of years at least since then. Nice. Uh, yeah. So
0: for our listeners that are still with us, if you've made it this far, you <laughs> must seriously be interested in what it takes to start a meetup. So or
2: maybe or, they're really interested in me.
0: They could. I don't want to take away from that. Maybe they are. They could be big Miles fans. <laughs> so, at this point, why, all right? Why, when he asks you, I know you've been helping him out a little bit, but when he says, hey, Miles, you want to just take it over? Why, would, why take it over? What, what's in it for you? What, do you, what do you? what were you expecting back then, I guess, what, that you would get out of it? Why did you want to do it?
2: Uh, it's, I, it with my experience with the group already, I had learned a lot, Uh, and I felt, I, you know, sort of selfishly, I felt like, uh, if I had, if I, if I had some direction and and there are other reasons obviously to do it, but, uh, when you, when you have some direction, you kind of get to decide what you're going to learn, uh, you know, as, as the group goes. But I also really like, uh, really like seeing everyone else get better as programmers. Uh, so it's, it's really just. It's kind of just a fun group overall, though, uh, and I think a lot of the local programmer groups are that way. Uh, you get a bunch of like minded nerds together and throw in some beer, kind of like what we 're doing right now and it's fun <laughs>
0: but so are you getting better at your craft than you would if you just showed up to it? I mean, is hosting it keeping you more sharp
1: at Ruby on I knows? think
2: so because you have to have you have to you have to stay uh i think to do a to do a decent job you have to sort of stay up on on the the larger community you know the ruby community as a whole and what's going on there um to make sure you have you know um current topics to to discuss you know or or current uh uh presentations to have at each meeting and that sort of thing so you sort of have to be a little bit a little bit more on your toes uh, than maybe if you're just showing up to a meeting here and there, um, so yeah, I would say I would say I've gotten better, and I get I sort of feel like um, because I'm, I'm I'm I guess because my big bearded head is plastered on the meetup site, uh, I get to hear from a whole lot more of the local Ruby developers and and what they're interested in or what they're doing and the cool things that they're doing so. That helps as well, just to just to get an idea of what they're doing and hear from them and learn from them.
0: Do you get a chance to talk to people in the greater community, maybe out in California, or elsewhere?
2: I do a little bit, um, not not maybe not as often as I'd like, but yeah, it's and it's 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 awesome. There are some sort of wider communities, and every once in a while, you'll get. A message from uh you know one of the other one of the other groups that wants to do something bigger or or um you know some people who are passing through our little little flyover state here and want to stop by for a meeting and that sort of thing, so that's pretty good too and we've had you know like we've had yehuda cats uh skype into a skype into a meeting and give a presentation before that's awesome so that was pretty fun cool
0: and so there's the altruistic side of it you want everybody to to get better, create the community and keep it together, but also it sounds like there's some tangible benefits to actually hosting the meetup and that hard work that you're putting into it does pay off.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh um you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I really think there there like you said there there are definitely some benefits to doing it for yourself. Uh and it's 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 sort of a karma thing too, I feel like
1: what do you mean, Brandon? I think you're back. Uh, yeah. I, I I popped back. I apparently unplugged myself again. What do you mean that it's a karma thing?
2: Uh, you know, it's it feels good. You, you feel like you're giving back. Uh, you give try to try to help others get better. Try to get the whole community to to get better. But really, if you think about it, um, especially if you're heavily involved in a group like this, like the better all of the programmers around you are getting, the better you're going to get sort of uh, almost by osmosis, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, it seems like you're a pretty outgoing guy. I, I just kind of naturally assume, because IndRB is one of the larger programmer meetups in Indianapolis, and I just assume that if I happen to mention you in a conversation that the person I'm mentioning your name to is going to know of you at least, maybe even <laughs> know you, because it it seems like this has really elevated your... Your recognition within our Indianapolis community doing NDRB does that sound fair to say?
2: Yeah, and that's that's actually I didn't uh, I didn't really realize that aspect of it until I had until I went out on my own um, and just by some you know throwing out there in the interwebs somewhere the fact that you are now you know a freelancer or a consultant uh, and then people can find you on meetup.com and then somehow find out that fact. I started to get, um, you know, people to email me and say, Hey, I noticed you know Ruby because of meetup and that you are a consultant. Let's talk. Uh, And I didn't, I did beforehand. I was like, Oh, I just am the guy behind the scenes that tries to keep this group organized. Right so right. I, hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that, that particular aspect of so things. So you, you get work because of it. Yeah, which actually kind of makes me feel bad in a way. Is that weird? I feel guilty about it.
0: Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, don't I, don't, I don't know. Why feel guilty? I mean, you're putting work in. You're putting effort I, in.
2: I don't know how to explain that one. I just do feel a little bit guilty about it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but And so it gives you credibility. I mean, because they think, well, a really bad Rubyist isn't going to host a meetup, right? He must be pretty darn good at Ruby if he's hosting the meetup, right? Does that seem, or is it just, hey, it's like the only way we could find a Ruby person is looking on a meetup. I mean, I think it was beyond that, right?
2: (laughs) I do think, yeah, I do think I get attributed uh, a lot of authority that maybe is not all deserved. Maybe that's why I feel guilty. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: Okay, you're doing the meetup now. What's walk us through what's involved with a meetup? What is the work and the effort that you have to put into it? Is it can I just like show up the day of, or what do I have to do to prepare for my
2: meetup? So I would say there you have to you have to expect to do several hours of work in a month. Um, I mean, it's not it's not like you're spending a whole day doing it, but depending on what type of meetup you're doing, if you and typically. In the past, at least, we've done a few presentations uh, by members per, per meetup. Um, so there's actually that's, that's probably the most work is trying to, to either uh, talk members into giving a presentation on a topic of their choice or maybe thinking of some topics ahead of time and saying, hey, you know, hey, you. I think you know about this topic and you should definitely put some slides together and give a presentation. Uh, What's the
0: the standard reaction? Like uh, I could see somebody who's just starting their meetup. Maybe they're a little timid about asking people to do that. You know, they got to get over the hump. What do you find is Mm -hmm. the standard reaction when you do really coax somebody into doing it? Are they amenable to it? Do they push back? What do you, what type of response do you get?
2: I think um, people don't, don't, uh, it's especially probably in a Midwest thing, but people don't um, don't want to directly tell you they don't want to do it. Uh, I actually have been accused previously of not asking people often enough that whether they want to do it or not pushing hard enough. Um, but ultimately, like if someone really doesn't want to do it, then they're going to find a way to not do it. So it's not going to hurt that much to just say, "Hey." I think you should give this presentation. Just give it a shot. And most people, it's been my experience, most people afterward will go, Hey, I'm really glad that I did this presentation. I feel like I learned a lot from doing it, or, you know, unless they're, they're a veteran who's done a million presentations. It, typically, and even then, uh, we have some guys in the group who love giving presentations and would probably give one every single time if I asked them to. Hmm.
0: So is it shyness for the other ones that keeps them from? jumping at the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're programmers, even the ones that are out to to attend these social functions on a, which really is what they are on a regular basis are or can be occasionally uh, awkward or shy. So there's a, there's a lot of that and there's and there's honestly it's a lot of work to to put together a presentation even if it's only going to be a 20-minute or 15-minute presentation to to get some slides together that look good, or get some code samples together, <clears throat> excuse me, that are uh, coherent, <laughs> or ever, that you can be proud of. Do you
0: review the slides beforehand, or do you just let them walk in and you just you're watching it for the first time like everyone else?
2: Yep. Yeah, I let them let them have at it. Yeah, I don't I don't need to I don't need to moderate. I figure as a as a group we'll we'll socially moderate if if necessary. But I we haven't had any we haven't had any. Uh, any, I guess, problems, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to claim that all our presentations have been fantastic or anything, but <laughs> what happens
0: if a presentation ends like very unusually early and you still have a lot of time left?
2: We don't, uh, we don't typically try to fill, uh, an amount of time. And I would, I would say, don't, don't worry about that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if you, like, if you want to create a meetup today, uh, I wouldn't, Worry about trying to fill an amount of time, and in fact, I found that when I tried to like get as many presentations as possible and really fill a long meeting, um, it got reviewed worse than if I just had a couple of real short presentations and then we went and drank. That seems to be what really everybody wants to do: is learn some things real quick and then get quickly to the socializing and drinking beer and talking about code aspect of. I could of see the that. meetup. That's uh, actually,
0: that's what I look forward to for sure. I like the presentation part but i like hanging out afterwards a lot more.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun and and especially if you've had, you know, the presentations are good uh to provide some conversation for that that hanging out afterward. Yep.
0: So, and when you say that they they get reviewed better, this is the reviews that meetup asks attendees for the next day, right? Is that Yeah, that, that, that
2: and, and even back? I like to ask um I especially excuse me I especially like to ask uh, some of the vets that have been going to going to the NDRB meetings for a long time uh or the guys that have been going to conferences as well or other Ruby meetings and that sort of thing and and see what they say it helps that I've become pretty good friends with some of these guys so I'm not, not I'm not worried uh I'm not worried number 1 that they're going to be mean. I'm not worried. Number two, that they're going to be you know dishonest to save my feelings or anything. So that works out pretty well.
0: So I've seen some emails come across on the NDRB. You know, it seems like you know maybe it's a week until the meeting or a few days until the meeting, and it, maybe you don't have a presentation lined up, and so you you suggest, hey, let's just do a fishbowl panel and you know get some people up there and we'll just ask questions and discuss. Or so that mm-hmm. makes me think. How do you handle, how much stress do you put yourself under to line up presentations? Or is it kind of, Hey, if a presentation doesn't happen this month, I'll figure out something else for us to do. I mean, what, how do you like to structure? How important do you think a presentation is?
2: So previously I had put, um, or I had at least felt a lot of stress trying to get presentations. Um, I felt like that was what the meeting was about. Like that was the thing to do. Um, and so, you know, I would I would be scrambling, you know, if I couldn't find anybody a week beforehand and and start, uh, you know, all but begging people to do a presentation. But recently, I've I've started to come around and think um maybe presentations, not only are they not not always necessary, but maybe aren't always the best. I think they're great to do on a regular basis, but maybe not every single meeting. Uh, so, like you said, we did a uh, fishbowl thing. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. It 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 was a learning experience. Uh, uh, in that, I think I learned that I need to moderate harder. Um, gotcha. Uh, and then we did recently. We did just a, a hack night where we all we got to, together and split into small groups and worked on uh, building a Reddit clone using uh, micro frameworks instead of Rails or and even Sinatra. We ignored, uh, which are too common. Ruby frame, web frameworks. Uh, we Which built cool. a Reddit. Yeah.
0: That's cool because I like that you actually emailed out ahead of time to the community and it seemed like you kind of formed, like, here's what we can do, but it, instead of just saying, this is what we're going to do if you guys show up, it's, let's talk about this. What do you want to do, right? I mean, you kind of, you work with the community.
2: Yeah, and and if you ask people, you know, they'll tell you, they'll tell you what they want or, you know, whether they think it's a good idea or what they want to do, so... It worked out pretty well. I think uh, some people in, I think some people are, um, sort of intimidated by programming in front of uh, their peers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's programming anxiety. Right, right.
1: Yeah,
2: some sort of weird stage fright thing.
1: Uh, hey, how I got a question for you. How how yeah. focused are you on attendance numbers? Um. It's like, it's like, do you sweat? Do you like try to figure out, okay, how can I raise attendance? I mean, is that a, is that a big part that you
2: focus on? It hadn't been uh, a little recently. I've been considering it a little bit, but um, I think a lot of it ebbs and flows um, less to do with the quality. I mean, there's always, there's always going to be some of that, but less to do with the quality of the local group and maybe more to do with the, the languages ebb and flows. Um, what about so we, time of
0: the year? Like I would think seasons might have something to do with that.
2: Yeah. Uh, in the past we've seen that the summer becomes more sparse as people want to spend more time outside. And then in the dead of winter, especially January and February and even March, when there's nothing else going on and people need, you know, some escape from from the monotony of the season, uh, we get a little bit higher attendance
1: and do you, are are you thinking of focusing on generating revenue from this at all on what now i'm sorry on the are meetup. are you yeah on the meetup are you thinking about trying to generate money
2: no no i have um i don't know i have some sort of uh i don't know altruistic thing where i avoid uh i avoid making money with regards or when as it relates to organizing uh programmer yeah, for better. better or for worse.
0: Well, and you you have sponsors for it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the sponsors are covering what exactly? It, uh, you don't have to give exact numbers if you don't want to, but any sort of breakdown for anybody who's thinking of doing a meetup and how much they need to get from sponsors and anything any light you can shed on that and dealing with sponsors would be awesome.
2: Sure. Yeah. So sponsors, depending on your group, and actually, I don't. If you're doing like. Any sort of programmer related meetup, I think um, you probably, you'll find you don't have any trouble finding a sponsor. You just need to ask. Like, you just, like, just ask directly, say, I need, you know, these things covered. It's going to cost you this much. Will you please do it? And if people are told exactly what is expected, um, especially if, in particular, if you're talking about, sponsors you want to talk to a business that's hiring people who might be at your meeting or is interested in hiring those people uh probably they'll be like yeah i'll sponsor sure and you already told me what i have to do so we're good all right um so for a long time at uh Indie ruby group we had inframe was sponsoring the facility uh when we were up in Carmel. we're now at the speakeasy uh so it's a little bit different but um, so we would have a, essentially a facility sponsor, and then we would have somebody sponsor food and drinks, which was is always pretty much uh, pizza and soda.
0: Um, What's the cost on the pizza and soda for maybe twenty people? Let's
2: say. So, if you want to get really on the low end, you can do it for like forty to fifty bucks if you go to Little Caesars, hot and ready. <laughs> <laughs> I've done uh, that before which,
0: for the like food pizzas.
2: We, yeah, we used to do that all the time. It's it's not that bad. It's pretty five, good.
0: Five bucks a pizza. But yeah. they're so thin and like people eat a lot more slices than I find than if they eat Papa yeah. John's. Yeah. Have you found this to be true? Like you'll go through many more pies of little Caesars than you will like a Papa <laughs> John's.
2: <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> and we've we've done the we've also done the like the like Bellachinos or you know, a, like a higher I guess a higher end pizza. I feel Which is like
0: what, like a ten dollar, twelve dollar thing?
2: Yeah. I think we had we had a really we had like a we were expecting something like fifty people at a Ruby meeting and the sponsor bought um I think around two hundred dollars worth of pizza. It was pretty impressive. Wow. Pizza and, and drinks and, and breadsticks and there were lots of specialty pizzas and stuff, but it was pretty impressive.
0: So twenty people, how many Let's let's say it's not little Caesars. Let's say you're doing just standard pizza. How many pizza pies do you need for twenty people?
2: Twenty people. Oh I think you could probably get away with um like six or seven. I was four to five oh, actually. Wow. Okay. You'll find or at least I've found that um a lot of people don't eat for whatever reason, whether they ate beforehand with their family or uh, you know, decided they didn't want pizza or weren't as hungry as they thought. Just saving room for beer, maybe. Right on. <laughs> uh, so you can get away with maybe a little bit less than if you, if you were inviting a bunch of guys over for a football game and you, you knew everybody was going to eat.
0: Do you ever work out deals with the pizza companies, Tell them, hey, I'm going to do this every month, there'll be decent-sized order, can I get a discount?
2: That I have not done.
0: I do, a, uh, I do like, Pizza Mondays where I work. And I just Mm -hmm. offer, I send out an email, everybody in my group knows about it. It's five bucks for all you can eat pizza and soda. And you just have to get me your money before I head out. And then I just get pizzas from Papa John's. And like the first time I ever did, I just called up Papa John's and said, this is what I'm going to do every Monday for years. So can I get a discount? And they were surprisingly, just like you're saying, talking to sponsors, Mm -hmm. Like you might think, well, Papa John's or whoever is going to be stingy. No, they'll absolutely – like it's not even – they don't even need manager override. There's literally a button on their keyboard. Anybody in Papa John's is permitted to press that button to give you the much cheaper price. So I do $7 one uh, large one-topping pizzas at Papa John's, and anybody there can give me that deal. Like I guarantee that wow. there are Mondays I call in, and it's some new guy working there, and I just say, yeah, this is the usual order for where I work, and they're just, oh, okay. Like they don't even – and I'm going to verify. I could be – I've actually – I'm not kidding. I have done this on Friday nights even, and I say that I'm like a normal – like when we're having some friends over or whatever, and I need to order like three. <laughs> I have used that and gotten $7 pizzas from Papa John's just saying that this is a usual order and this is the deal I've worked out because I know they have that discount. That is awesome.
2: I don't know why I have not thought of that.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, the savings are probably not – You're what? Saving maybe three bucks a pizza times four or five, but whatever. I mean,
2: that's pretty good. Yeah.
0: You're saving something. So how about dues? I've always wondered is, is collecting dues a big no, no on meetup? Are you allowed to do that? Is there, do they facilitate that in any way?
2: You know, I I don't know whether they facilitate it. Um, I feel like so I, I have this impression of meetup.com that they do all of the things and some other things that maybe aren't things that you want because they seem pretty monolithic to me. Um, so I'm assuming they do something like that, but I, I have not encountered a meetup uh, that does it. Although, although Verge, if I remember correctly, um, has paid events from time to time. I just can't remember if they are done via Eventbrite or via meetup.com.
0: Yeah, the only I, times I,
2: think it's, I think it's both. So Meetup okay. can
0: charge, right? I mean, you can charge. Yeah,
2: I'm I'm pretty sure
1: that Meetup has charging abilities.
0: And then for price comparison, there's also Eventbrite, like you just mentioned. And then Ticketleap is another one I found. But Ticketleap, their price structure only works if you're going to charge a lot of money if you're hosting an event that's $100 or more per ticket. So I guess mm. like Eventbrite and Meetup are like the only two games in town. Interesting. So, yeah,
2: and Meetup, meetup works great um, for Discovery also. As far as, uh, meetup does like I said, it does a ton of stuff. But one other thing, it's it got really right was like if you want to start your own meetup, even though you're going to have to pay for meetup.com, which is if what? you really it's want like to start 19, your own 19, meetup, twenty bucks a month. Yeah, and I think you can get um, like an eighty dollars for six months if you want to pay ahead of time. Okay, which isn't which is you know a bit of a deal, uh, but you can to an extent you if. You can put that meetup on meetup.com and immediately gain, you know, a dozen followers because of people who are just want to be emailed about any event that is tagged with a tag they're interested in locally. Hmm. So uh, every once in a while, I'll get I'll get, you know, oh, someone started, you know, a a web performance uh, meetup locally. We thought you should know.
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool. Uh, so, do you have to do anything else besides meetup? I mean, you're on meetup, people are going to find you, done, right? Or is there more you got to do to try to get the word out?
2: Well, well, I'm, I'm selfish, so I'm going to tell you that I think you should uh, email me and get your event put on indiehackers.org. Nice. Uh, which is just a, a local calendar of, of events that I think hackers would be interested in. So, and it's free, got. By the way. Yes. But yeah, is
0: it so. Indianapolis only or Indiana only? Or would uh, it's, do...
2: it's I would probably call it greater Indianapolis area, more or less only at the moment, but like if you if you had a thing in Fort Wayne and you felt like it should be on the calendar, I'd probably be cool with that. But Alabama
0: not would not Alabama be
2: no. Yeah. But that's Alabama, not what I'm after How
0: important has indie hackers been? If I'm in Alabama, should I start like an alabamahackers.com and do free job postings and event listings and like, how great has that been for you?
2: I think you should definitely do the calendar thing. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's proven really valuable. And there's actually uh, HackerCal in Boston now, which um, I think came after Indie Hackers, but it may not have, and I'm just a copycat, and I don't know it. Uh, but actually, actually, HackerCal is really cool, and I want to steal a bunch of their ideas. Um,
0: I'll, I'll be honest. I, like, for months at a time especially on my work computer. I don't know why when I'm at work, I just want to see what events are happening and kind of put my mind elsewhere. But I've had the indie hackers website open in a tab just for like months at a time without closing that thing. It's just always hanging out in a tab in my browser.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. It, it's, that's great. It's like a go-to resource. I check it often.
2: That's good. That's good to hear. I'm glad. Uh, I think it's been really good for the local community. Um, as far as you know, there are a lot of people who are like I didn't I didn't know anything was happening in Indianapolis uh, as far as you know like hacker meetups and stuff go. And then somebody told me you know that there's this indiehackers.org site, and I got on there and the calendar is full of junk like all month. There's junk that you can go to if you want to, mm-hmm. uh, and it really there really is. I there are I encourage if you want to start a meetup also to look at the calendar before you decide what day you want to have that meetup so you're not conflicting with uh, some stuff because it's a it's a fairly packed calendar, which is you know great for Indianapolis.
0: So and also, if you are starting to meet up, search around and see if other people have done this sort of thing in your area and then contact them and get on their calendar. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: OK, cool. Uh, so venues venues. is I think this is my last question. How mm-hmm. do you line up? You know, and I, I could. I, I would probably be somewhat intimidated initially if I'm going to start a meetup and how am I going to figure out who to approach about a venue? I don't really want to pay for it. I think that could get pretty expensive. Do you have to pay for venues and how do you find a good venue?
2: So I think kind of like the sponsor thing, uh, your best bet is to find, find a company that either is looking to hire the same people who would be attending your meal or already employs People who will be attending your meeting. Um, I actually, when I started helping out with the Ruby Group, they wanted to get away from the library, the central library downtown in Indianapolis, because they had been they'd been paying for it, um, I remember and the that. price prices was about Kokomo, to go way up.
0: Like a Kokomo car website company was paying.
2: Yeah, that. Dealer Flow.
0: Yeah. And then before that, yeah, NCAA. Uh, National headquarters is where we used to meet, and that was free. And that, I mean, that was a primo conference room we used to meet in, and they didn't pay anything for that, I believe.
2: Yeah, I missed those meetings. Now it was, I'm, cool. I'm kind of sad. But... And it
0: was like the, you know, the parking garage right across, and you walk over the canal, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it was a great venue.
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah, so they space, and it was getting kind of desperate, and uh, I just talked end frame into. Uh, letting us use one of their conference rooms, essentially. It was a disaster
0: recovery room, right?
2: Yes, yeah. That they, they had a a presence in in that particular office building, which meant they were allowed to use that conference room whenever they wanted. So we just reserved it for the Indy Ruby Brigade,
0: which you worked there. Have had you ever seen those disaster recovery rooms ever be utilized?
2: Not for real. Um, they like, were. It's, it was very much an insurance thing, right? um there were they would do tests every once in a while like where they would declare their building unofficially a disaster or whatever and they would come and sit in the chairs for a day and make sure everything worked
0: and for people that don't know this is if you have a larger company you pay nframe which is this data center with these disaster recovery rooms as well you pay them like a monthly fee or annual fee or whatever right so that if anything bad happened to your building. You could relocate your workforce into their disaster recovery rooms and not skip a beat, basically, and keep working.
2: Yeah, which disaster recovery rooms kind of sounds like some sort of weird bunker slash panic room thing, but it's actually just a big cube farm. Yep. So not not nearly as exciting as a panic room. It's funny. Room. That
0: must be good money for that because it's never really going to get used. It's just you're selling these insurance policies that will never be cashed in.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. <laughs>
0: Cool. Well, thanks for talking to us about Meetup. Uh, Brandon, if you didn't have any more questions, we'll move on to the Talonopoly links. Let's do it. All right. And I think the first link is yours, Brandon.
1: Oh, shit. (laughs) You already, the, the, the,
0: already cursed earlier in the podcast, I
1: think. Oh, oh golly think darn, we, everybody. Yeah,
0: we, we broke it on that one. That was at like <laughs> minute six or something.
1: Oh, uh, I apologize. Are we talking <laughs> about the gold? The, the golden ratio? Is that the what first is the topic? the golden
0: ratio, and how is the it a designer's
1: ratio. guide? The golden ratio is used by nature as a guidepost for all things that it creates <laughs> so you can find it in a tree you can find it design of your hand you can find it in the design of your body you find it in really the the, the most obvious thing where you see in a sh- snail shell are right the spiral say, you like see it in
0: that first part were you reading that from somewhere or are you just making no no
1: I, i'm making that uh, up on the awesome. fly <laughs>
0: It sounds pretty. Good. Um, it sounds like
1: a Wikipedia entry. Well, thank you, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's the spiral galaxy, right? And and it's a really fascinating thing. Do a Google search or do a YouTube search for more mind-blowing things on the Fibonacci Fibonacci sequence. And it's you know one or zero uh, zero plus one. It's a sequence, and it's and anyway, uh, you can use this to really come up with like a natural, pleasing uh, uh, design. And you, what I use it for is like if I'm designing a logo, if I'm just designing a website, I'll take that golden ratio spiral and you can just Google it and you can find one. And I copied right into Photoshop and, and I laid over my design and I just see how things kind of line up in this grid pattern. Um, and it's it's kind of trippy because then once you take it away and you look at your design, it does look a lot cleaner. I don't know why. And, and I don't understand it, but it's some guy figured it out. Fibonacci's figured it out a long time ago. Um, and it's really kind of mind blowing. So this is a great article to check out. It kind of shows you how you can apply it to design, how you can see it. And grids how you can see it in the column in the sidebar you know i mean it could be as simple as as a column sidebar layout right where you have the ratio laid out properly so it's a really cool article um and the fibonacci sequence if you don't know anything about it check it out you'll end up seeing it everywhere you look pineapples you know you'll see it tr- and <laughs> and it's crazy it really is
0: so it's because we've been trained to see these things as aesthetically correct that when you I, adhere to it it looks better
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and I don't know if it's because we're it's we're trained necessarily other than it's just stuff. inherent. It's yeah, it's inherent in all things that are alive. Um and and that's what's kind of cool about it.
0: Nice. All right. So, let's talk about link number 2, <laughs> which is responsive carousel project now open source. <laughs> this is great because the person who posted this on Telenopoly actually had a comment in there saying that we're probably in a few years going to look back at carousels and think, wow, that was so 2011. And it was Melanie Archer, by the way, who's an awesome Telenopoly member and posts a lot of good stuff. But she posted this link on there. And uh, I got a little bit excited about this just because I'm really into Twitter bootstrap. And I really like just open source, foundational, like front-end framework type stuff. And just go out and grab these things. And if you want a carousel, this looks like a pretty full-featured Carousel. You know, if you want to just throw a bunch of images in and have next and previous and do an auto-rotating carousel, whatever you want to do, this looks like it, it'll support that pretty well. And it's all up on GitHub, so if you need that carousel, I suggest you go check this out. And with that, we'll move on to link number three, which Miles is going to introduce.
2: Yeah, so link number three is uh, it's a, a Rails plugin called Draper, or Gemma. I should say. So I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about all of the, the, the object-oriented patterns, stuff and whatnot, but you may have noticed in Rails today there's a lot of hubbub around uh, trying to slim down your fat models and that sort of thing where some of the things that people shove in their models and probably should have gotten away from this a long time ago is, is just formatting stuff. Say they won't always want the created at date to come out a certain way, they might shove that in their model. Or maybe you've moved on to shoving it into a helper right. somewhere. Uh I, I hate helpers in the first place, so I really like, I really like Draper. Uh, essentially, what it does is you use Draper to wrap uh, your objects that have instantiated your model class um, with, and that they essentially shove onto there that formatting stuff that you might uh, have previously put elsewhere. So suddenly it's all in one place that is already you know, you know, semi-related to, to, to your model logically. Uh, so it makes a lot more sense than trying to shove it in some, some poorly named helpers, which is typically what happens. So I, I definitely encourage you if you have built a Rails app of any substantial size to check out Draper.
0: So do you use like an application helper in your apps? Do you yes. use helpers?
2: Um, as, as little as possible. Okay. Uh, but it was something uh, that you, there's like, always the application helper.
0: But, formatting like date, time or something in a global way. Uh-oh. Yeah, like give me like what's an example of something that in your application helper that you find yourself doing often? Uh,
2: so I'm, I'm I'm always trying to you know picking a new way. It seems like to format uh, date times that are coming off an object, um, but also I've I've you know even like making sure uh, the body of a post, for instance, is sanitized instead of shoving that in your although that tends to happen automatically in Rails, but uh, or maybe you want to take some of the bodies in Markdown and you want to convert that to HTML on the fly, and instead of having that in a helper or having it in your uh, view code directly uh, or even on the model, you can shove it in, in Draper, and it, it makes a lot more sense there since it is sort of a, a view-related thing, but but still close enough to the model that you, you don't, and it's logic enough that you don't want to shove it right in the view.
0: Nice. So you can kind of, if you had been putting that stuff in your models now, you can slim them up a little and hopefully make them more readable and maintainable, right? Yes, absolutely. Nice. All right, link number four, our final link, Raspberry Pi gets own app store. Make it even easier for kids to get coding and earn from apps. First off, I just want to touch on that last part there because all the people I know that are into Raspberry Pi and really want to get them are already pretty hardcore programmers in their 20s, 30s, 40s, is this, I don't know if you guys know, but, like, are kids getting excited because of the Raspberry Pi? I mean, are, is this, <laughs> is it accomplishing that goal? It seems like it's, like, hardcore hackers buying this thing.
1: I don't think it's, I, know. I, I don't think they're doing much to engage. I mean, maybe some of the, like, hardcore nerd kids but not like, you know, the the kids that we really need. The, the, all the nerd kids who are already into it are going to be into it inherently. So I don't think they're necessarily doing anything that's kind of right raising awareness outside of this spectrum of hacker news and Slashdot. Um, so, I yeah, I'm kind of curious on how they're going to do it. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you, they're so cheap. You can start getting them into schools. You can start getting them into different classes. And kids can start exploring and playing with them. But I don't I mean, hell, they can barely keep the things, you know, up just for the public public, let alone being able to provide enough of them to the school systems. Right. The
0: two coolest uses I've seen for Raspberry Pi, one was and this is such a pie in the sky idea uh, <laughs> 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 for for Pirate Bay. Pirate Bay said that they were going to create literally pies in the sky. They were going to take these things and they were going to put them on helicopters. Like <laughs> remote control helicopters. <laughs> Did you guys see this? You yeah, these guys
1: know <laughs> yeah.
0: And they were going to, like, turn them into servers and actually host the Pirate Bay on these helicopters that could cross country borders at will. So it's like, try to find us. Try to sue us. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it was crazy. And then the second one was actually an IT consultant that worked for SGI. Uh, the place where I work, we actually use a lot of these huge SGI mainframe-style computers. And he was out there for a week, and he was he's super into Halloween. He's telling me how he, like makes all of his own stuff all this diy halloween stuff and he uses raspberry Pis to control like that he made a witch that like stirs the cauldron and plays like an mp3 and you know he interfaces because the raspberry pi has uh pins that you can basically just do electronic like you know just like whether there's a voltage or not applied to it so he could actually hook up the sensor, that, the proximity sensor, to know when somebody walks up and then trigger the ris- like something in the Raspberry Pi. He put Ubuntu on it and had like this whole witch thing programmed for his Halloween front yard thing using Raspberry Pis, and it was awesome.
2: I, I literally thought it was just a weirdly named thing marketed towards nerds. So I realized there was this potential kid angle. So I, evidently they're not marketing it right, or at least they're not marketing it right in my direction.
0: Right, because that's what. Well, that is what they always say. In the, like in the beginning, when it first came out, I was like, "Let's make it because it's twenty five bucks. Let's make this accessible to kids to learn how to program." Like that doesn't seem right because kids have MacBooks and they have iPads and they have like you know Lenovo's or no, they don't really. But anyway, <laughs> like they have, nobody. Dude, dude wait,
1: out. wait, 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 wait. That there's a Lenovo out there or Lenovo or however you pronounce it that has like a rubber mat. Have you guys seen this one? No. It's actually no. pretty damn cool. It's a laptop. It's it's fairly thin, um, and you can actually fold the screen all the way back. So, like, you'd almost like you feel like you're going to break it. It goes all the way back. It has full, like, th- you know, 360 tilt, and it's like a rubber matting. It's it's like a softer black padding. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be. I don't know what the hell it is. is and it's actually a pretty nice feel. Yeah, nice. and it looks it looks really nice.
0: So maybe that's what the kids are using now. It's the cool thing to use. They're all learning how to program <laughs> with Lenovo's.
1: Yeah. Well, it's cool because they're not trying to, you know, like everybody else is trying to copy Apple just blindly, like, you know, shamelessly, and they kind they of. Like t- kinda, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with their, new, with their new iMac and stuff. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty nice-looking machine, though.
0: Nice. All right. Well, on that note, we will end this episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening. We love our listeners,
1: and we will see you next time.